Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we continue our reflections into these special topics. This is Special Topic Thursday. That is tailored to your questions, and they just don't have to be apologetic questions, but questions about anything, really, as relates to the Christian and Catholic faith. And certainly I have talked about a great number of apologetic topics, but more recently we have touched upon a few topics that relate more to spiritual theology. I certainly get a lot of questions from you that deal more with pastoral theology or spiritual theology. And so I am going to respond to a couple of those. And uh, these are the questions, uh, the first of which I find most striking. Uh, How do I deal with despair my anguish. I grabbed a hold of this question because I think there's something quite provocative in the question itself. How do I deal with despair, my anguish? And the second question, how might I better intercede for those who ask for my prayers? As I think I had mentioned on Monday, we were going to talk about uh, this question of intercession. So there you have it. How do I deal with despair, my anguish, And how might I better intercede for those who ask for my prayers? And with the second question, what I'm going to do this evening is kind of lay out systematically um, eight or nine bullet points of things to think about as it relates to just not prayer itself, certainly they can be applied to prayer, but also intercessory prayer. Okay, in taking on the first question, I believe it to be very important to first define despair so as really to get to the heart of the problem If you happen to have the Catechism um, at your fingertips, why don't you turn to paragraph 2091? If you don't, and maybe you're listening to this by way of podcast in your car, um, just listen attentively to this paragraph, paragraph 2091. The first commandment is also concerned with sins against hope, namely despair and presumption. By despair... Man ceases to hope for his personal salvation from God, for help in attaining it, or for the forgiveness of his sins. Despair is contrary to God's goodness, to his justice, for the Lord is faithful to his promises and to his mercy. Now, equally important is what the Catechism has to say in the next paragraph, and it certainly relates to despair, and that is presumption. Uh, Either man presumes upon his own capacities, or he presumes upon God's almighty power or his mercy. So that's hoping to obtain his forgiveness without conversion and glory without merit. So we are hopeful of God's mercy, but we are to avoid the sins against this hope, namely despair and presumption. So if despair is a sin against hope, what does it mean to hope? It's more than just a, I wish for, right? I, I wish the Packers win the Super Bowl, or we replace that I wish with hope. I hope the Packers win the Super Bowl. Hope, my friends, is both a gift received from God and a virtue. Really, we could call it the virtue of confidence in God. 
Hope, my friends, is the desire to live for the kingdom of God with the understanding that this really is our supreme joy. So we rely not on our own accord, but by the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit, right? What do we read in Matthew chapter 9, verse 26? We are to never lose hope because with God, all things are possible. I have heard it said so many times, Joe, that is humanly impossible. That's the idea. Humanly speaking, what you want to do often in the faith life is impossible. You need God's help. And in God, it becomes possible. So in man, impossible. In God, possible. Far too often, we take on God-sized problems with man-sized solutions. Brothers and sisters, it does not work. It just does not work. All right. So with that intro, (laughs) what about your question? Well, for starters, what we can do is muster up a prayer for the virtue of what? But hope and begin the process of placing what we do on a day-to-day basis in the hands of the loving and merciful God, mindful that God will not let you down, okay? Brothers and sisters, in God's infinite, perfect wisdom, in His infinite and perfect wisdom, He allows some things to happen for the very reason that we might turn to Him. And often that thing, whatever it might be, in your mind is is the thing that you say, well, God is not with me. But if we can muster up the faith, what does that one thing do? It draws us closer to God. Sometimes God sticks out His foot that in falling, we might look upon God so as to get back up again. He knows what is best for our salvation, right? He knows what is best for our salvation. You know, earlier we were just in uh, paragraph 2091 of the Catechism, right? What did we read? By despair, man ceases to hope for his personal salvation from God. Trust becomes quintessential here because when we fall, we have to trust that God will get us back up again and that whatever has happened, happened because it was necessary, right? Necessary for our salvation. You have been hearing me quote that passage from Philippians 2, verses 11, 12, and following quite a bit, that passage that talks about this need we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, mindful that the root word there to salvation is salve, God's healing balm. Brothers and sisters, God will do whatever is necessary to restore us back to health. Sometimes the ointment he applies stings stings a great deal. And we might ask the question, why are you applying that? But what happens over time? The wound begins to heal. The wound is now restored to health. Spiritually speaking, my friends, things happen to us and it stings a great deal, but God allows it. It is necessary because of our salvation. You see, we reflect into this in the light of your question because, as the Catechism points out, if we are seizing to hope, what we are seizing is hope in our salvation, okay? And in turn, understanding salvation helps us in our reflection. Now, there is something else here in your question that I think 
may help us in better understanding uh, this language of despair. And that is anguish has been identified as the same thing, which for many spiritual theologians is problematic. Why? Well, remember, Job and Jonah actually prayed for death out from their anguish, not despair, out from their anguish, okay? Did Job and Jonah seize to hope? Not necessarily. They were in anguish. As one popular spiritual theologian, Father John Bartunek, reflects, sometimes our suffering is so intense that we wish God would just decide to take us to heaven right now. Huh? Have you ever been there? Why? Because we want to be relieved from the painful darkness. But this painful darkness, this deep painful anguish is not the same thing as committing the sin of despair. Quite simply because one has faith and the other does not. I just mentioned Job. If you have your Bibles out there, why don't you turn to chapter 6, verses 8 to 9. There we read, Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant what I long for. Even that God would decide to crush me, that he would put forth his hand and cut me off. I mean, listen to that. This is Job chapter 6, verses 8 to 9. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant what I long for. Even that God would decide to crush me, that he would put forth his hand and cut me off. How about Jonah? Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. In the midst of his frustration, anger, anguish, what do we read? So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Goodness gracious. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Job and Jonah found themselves in a similar emotional state, huh? Even though their experiences and triggers were different, certainly there's a similarity. And maybe you out there may find yourself in a similar emotional state, even though your triggers are different. Earlier, I mentioned to take your despair before God. In doing so, what might help you is to pray the Psalms. The Psalms can be an excellent way of praying yourself out of despair and really praying yourself into God's merciful hands. And remember that if anyone knows what you are going through, it is who? God, right? God knows how anguished life in this fallen world can become. But he also knows how to bring good out of evil, light out of darkness, holiness out of the crucible of suffering. I have always believed that much can be gained when we consider the relationship between our suffering and Christ's suffering. We choose to use the word excruciating when we want to put to words that most painful, deep anguish. Well, remember, my friends, if it is excruciating, it is ex cruces, from the cross. And so we unite our suffering with that of Christ on the cross. Okay, so praying the Psalms, um, mindful of the words we reflect with here, can really help you in your despair. Lastly, my friends, don't isolate yourself. Surround yourself with people who you can trust, people who you can pray with, 
I think we all need some kind of support group that we can lean into, huh? St. Paul reminds us that we are to walk with each other, and in doing so, what do we read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2? Bear one another's burdens. So we have this call to bear one another's uh, burdens, to walk with each other. I've always felt that one of the more overarching truths about our relationship with God is that God meets us exactly where we are at and walks with us exactly as He is. We can do no better. And I'd go so far as to say, if we do that, we imitate God the way we are called to imitate God, being who we are called to be, and nothing more for the person we are called to journey with. So here we're talking about support groups. Where might you find this support group, this fellowship? Well, I would encourage you to turn to your uh, local church family, your local parish family. Find your place. Find your niche. There are so many outstanding people in every parish, in every church, who are waiting to be that person for you, that person who is going to journey with you. You might be someone to another person. Well, that other person might also be someone for you. So things to be present to in response to that question, how do I deal with despair, my anguish? And as you think about these things, I would certainly be present to the distinction between despair and anguish because it can actually help you work through um, despair. All right, how about this second question? How might I better intercede for those who ask for my prayers? I love this question because it is a question that is already out in front. And by that, I mean anyone who asks this question in so many ways has already placed themselves second. We have defined love as willing the good of the other, right? Which, in other words, means <laughs> always counting yourself second. So how might I better intercede for those who ask for my prayers? Well, off the top, we should consider at least a few passages that encourage intercessory prayer. We read from James chapter 5, verse 16, pray for one another that you may be healed. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, praying always with all prayer and supplication of spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. So there Paul is asking for the intercessory prayer of those he, who he is writing to. What does Jesus say, by the way? Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So <laughs> Jesus just cuts to the chase there, right? I want you to not only intercede for your brothers and sisters and me, but I want you to especially pray for those who, what did he say? Spitefully use you and persecute you. All right, this is a real barometer of how serious we are about our intercessory prayer. You know, those words we have all heard, can you pray for me? Those five words that form a question should really stop us in our tracks. Why? Because someone has come to you asking for something, and quite simply, it needs our attention. God is asking you to enter more deeply into his outgoing love and mercy. 
Intercessory prayer, my friends, is a powerful expression of sharing in Christ's merciful love, where we offer to those in need the gift of our time. And we could also say our presence, our presence as a true friend. God wants us to think like He thinks, act like He acts, live like He lives, and praying for others is a beautiful way of thinking, acting, and living like Christ. As the uh, Catechism reminds us in paragraph 2745, prayer and Christian life are inseparable, for they concern the same love and the same renunciation, the same filial and loving conformity with the Father's plan of love, the same transforming union in the Holy Spirit who conforms us more and more to Christ Jesus, the same love for all men, the love with which Jesus has loved. There you have it. There you have it. And we intercede because, well, what does Jesus say in John chapter 15, verses 16 to 17? Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This I command you, to love one another. So we love one another by praying for one another. And so with that, what are the essentials to prayer and intercessory prayer? Well, first of all, prayer needs to be filled with humble love. Humble love, my friends, is godly love. Godly love is an expression of Christ's unselfish love, and humility orders this love. So first of all, all prayer, intercessory prayer, needs to be filled with humble love. Second, and very specific to intercessory prayer, waste no time. When someone comes to you asking for prayers, then pray. Pray for that person and their request on the spot. Jesus never said, okay, I will be sure to do that when I get home. No, he just prayed. And we are to imitate the sense of urgency. Also, when you do this, the person you are praying for will know that you are serious about your request, as we should be serious about their request. This also, I think, becomes a point of consolation for the person who is requesting your prayer. So let your prayer be rooted in a humble love, and second, waste no time. Third, pray from the heart. Pray from the heart. Many examples can be found in sacred scripture. I turn to one that is a personal favorite of mine, one that a former professor of mine would go back to often. And it can be found in 2 Kings chapter 20. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, the prophet Isaiah told King Hezekiah he would die, right? Many of us know this story. And in response to this message, what does King Hezekiah do? King Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, weeping bitterly, prays, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in faithfulness and a whole heart, and done what is good in thy sight. Now, before Isaiah could even leave the middle court, God sent him back to King Hezekiah with a second message, which was a response to the king's prayer, right? And in the second message, what does God say? I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. And God answered Hezekiah's heartfelt, tear-filled prayer by what? Adding 15 years to his life. Incidentally, my friends, 
Tears often accompany um, heartfelt prayer because they are a sacrament of the disposition of heart, okay? Consequently, one tear equals one prayer. Many tears equal many prayers. In the end, God wants more than just lip service, but a people who seek Him with their whole heart, right? Psalm chapter 119, verse 2, He wants someone who is seeking Him with their whole heart. All right, fourth, be intentional, be specific. God responded to the very specific prayer of King Hezekiah, did He not? And He desires to hear the audible sounds that have their origin in the heart. When a friend comes to you with their request, take that very specific request before God. Don't be generic right, before God. Be very specific. He desires to know the details of our intercessory prayers. And not so much for His sake. He already knows the details, but for our sake. There is great potency when we sound out what is in our heart for our friend in Christ. Okay? Fifth, pray with faith. God responded to Hezekiah's faithfulness, did he not? We see all throughout the New Testament that faith-filled prayer is, is powerful, is potent in its effects, most notably in the extraordinary trust of the Roman centurion, right? After Jesus told the centurion he would go to his home to heal his paralyzed servant, the centurion, with marvelous faith, responded, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard him, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. You've heard me speak to this before. Trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith the spiritual confidence that God will fly to you and your need and your friend's need, right? As he sees fit for your salvation. So faithfulness, trustfulness. And by the way, the word confidence in the Latin means what? What is the root there? Fidere, that trust-imbued faith. All right, sixth, pray fervently. We read in James that the fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful in its effects. James chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, the Latin root there to the word fervent can also mean boiling, hot, glowing. In the context of prayer, the fervent man is one who is enthusiastic about his faith, someone who is on fire for God, right? You know, my friends, we get in passion about things we believe in. Do we believe in God to the point where our prayer is filled with passion? Do we pray for our friends in Christ with passion? In many ways to pray fervently is to add kindling to the already existing faith that God rejoices over. All right, bullet point seven, pray in the spirit, right? Hezekiah groaned in his heart and God heard the complete prayer. In Romans chapter eight, verses 26 to 27, what do we read? The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with sighs, too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
I love that. <laughs> you know, it has been shared that St. John Paul II's intercessory prayer was always filled with groaning. Not because he was whining about all the things wrong with the church. No. But because the Spirit was welling up inside of him, interceding with sighs too deep for words. Is this prayer not the perfect Christ-like prayer? Did not Christ himself pray with deep sighs in Mark chapter 7, verse 34, when he was healing the lame man, touching his ear, he looked up to heaven and he prayed with deep sighs. Beautiful. Eighth, our intercessory prayer needs fasting. Fasting. Fasting, my friends, is praying with the body. This might be arguably the greatest expression of our seriousness of intercessory prayer, to sacrifice that which we are closest to, <laughs> food and drink, and also certainly those other things that we might be attached to. Fasting goes a long way, my friends. We could say that our fasting is like sweet incense, an odor that is pleasing to God. Lastly, don't stop praying. What does 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 say? Pray without ceasing. Be immediate in your prayer, yes, and don't let that prayer stop. Be constant. Sometimes you might think that your prayer isn't getting answered. But again, remember what I have already said. In God's perfect wisdom, in His infinite understanding of what is best for just not our salvation, but the salvation of those we are praying for, the answer to our prayer might take time. It might take weeks, months, and even years. Because in God's infinite wisdom, the no or not yet is for our salvation. This is why yeah, trust imbued faith, trust imbued prayer is quintessential. All right. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.